0: have your Bible, will you turn with me to Peter's first letter? So find Revelation and work back. You'll get John's letters and then Peter's letters. There are two of them, and I want to read from the first chapter of the first epistle of Peter. I'm going to read from the beginning, but then miss out a little section in the middle. One Peter, one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that, is, that, will, that can never perish, spoil or fade. Just think of that. He's given us an inheritance. I don't know what kind of inheritance you think you've got coming to you, but it won't be better than this. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have have had to suffer a, a grief, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the gold of your faith, the salvation of your soul. 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your life lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or, or defect, He was chosen before the the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Lord, we pray, we thank you already this morning for speaking to us. We pray that you'll speak through your word powerfully. We ask your Holy Spirit, come to us. Pray that you'll help us. Lord, help me to open your word in a way that will be an effective vehicle for us all to be gripped by it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, a fortnight ago, we had a dedication or two. We started with Luke, the infant, and uh, he was dedicated. And then Michael, the adult, stood up and said he was dedicated. And there was an infant dedication and a baptism. And uh, though I I didn't announce it all that specifically, that was the beginning of a series, and I, I deliberately brought out of uh, the subject that we were looking at the importance of Scripture for the infant and for the adult. And if you remember, I, I laid pretty heavily on Jonathan and Joanna, and uh, you know said that that they had to bring Luke up, and that the teaching of the Scripture that they were to catechise him, and about three of us knew what that meant. Um, to teach him systematically, question and answer so that foundations are laid clearly, that there's truth to hand on, ethics, values, rules, hope to hand on to a young life, that they're to explain things. If if mum and dad in these days don't explain the truths of God, how will the next generation hear? Certainly not here. Not in the day schools as they are at the moment, or unlikely so, with some ex- rare exceptions. And therefore, the importance and the responsibility to bring someone up in the instruction of the Lord. But it was also true for Michael, wasn't it? That uh, we had an outstanding testimony. If you haven't, if you weren't here on that Sunday morning, get the tape. Um, the testimony was better than the sermon. And. Uh, that the, thank you, Denise. You're a great encourager. Um, <clears throat> that the Word of God was, was was powerful and effective in bringing Michael to know. He simply read it for himself and, and came to faith, to some extent largely through it. But, that, but I, I stress that the ongoing place of the Scripture in the life of the believer to feed and disciple and guide is also tremendously important and I want this morning to to take that whole thought a step further what, 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 what was said was that there's potentially tremendous impact on our lives and on our children's lives through what is written here. There's a great challenge to change here that That God, by his word, brought the the world into being. And God, by his word, brings us to new life. But it leaves a question, doesn't it? Tell me, how does this work? How is it that the scripture can do this? Because, and also, it's only a book. We don't revere the book. We don't worship a book. That you know, we, we don't kind of think, well, you know, this must always be on the top of the pile. It, it's not superstition we're talking about. How is it? How does God change me by what is written? What is the process? And there is a sense, you know, this morning, and this is a great danger for us, I'm going to be saying very familiar things. I'm going to be bringing some old truths. The problem with old truths is that they collect dust, don't they? Isn't it amazing? One of the dangers in evangelical and charismatic churches has been over the last decade or two is a constant search for novelty. And every conference we go to and every new move seems to drag up something which pertains to be new as if what we had before wasn't good enough and we must have something with, with a bit of sparkle that nobody's ever thought of before. Can I tell you, for a Christian, that is a very, very dangerous attitude. The problem in our day, I'd like to suggest, it's not that we haven't got something new to take us on, it's that we've neglected the things of old that were true and they've collected the dust. And I fancy not much more true than where the scripture is. Mark and I were going through the songs, looking for a song or two to close with that brought the importance of scripture to us. Do you know, in Songs of Fellowship, and I forget which of the other one was, in the index, there isn't even a category. No, thank God that the scriptures were mentioned twice, I think, in the, in the songs that we sang this morning. But it's an interesting fact, isn't it? that in the good old hymn books, there would at least have been a section. So I, what I want you to do this morning is to rethink, maybe, some of the things we say, oh yes, oh yes, I believe that. But maybe there's so much dust on the on the thought that we don't perhaps believe them like we ought. You see, if you'd like to turn down, if you have your Bible, to verse 23 of this first epistle, chapter 1 of Peter. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. There are three things I want to say. One flow the the, the 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 second flows from the first, and the third likewise. The first thing there is this is a living word. There's something unique about this book in that God continues to speak through it it is the christian's guidebook i often refer to it as a kind of spiritual haynes manual for those of you that do your own car repairs that you can go into it and everything you find as a workshop manual that you will ever need for life is in here but it's more than a haynes manual God revealed and and inspired this word. But unlike every other book on this planet, God still speaks through this word. This is a living word. He's still present. Because there's a living God, this is a living word. There are some excellent books. I picked up a book. The week before last, that was published in 1651. I won't tell you what it was about, but you'd know why I bought it. The author's well, dead and dusted. The author behind this is not dead or dusted, he speaks still. It's a living word. That God is still in communication. There's something ongoing. And he, he quotes from Isaiah, doesn't he? For all men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail. This is not a dead letter. It will be you and I that will be dead and buried before this ever becomes a dead letter. God still speaks through his word. Now, there, there are a bit, I've heard preachers that are talking about this and, and talk that, well, here's the word, and apart from the word, God will speak a person, this rhema word that was often bandied about, about ten years ago, that God will speak a, a particular, no, no, you're quite wrong. Actually, the scriptures don't justify those distinctions. God is a living God who still speaks through a living word. And the prophecies that we heard this morning, and if you didn't understand what was happening, that was God putting a thought, a word, onto an individual's heart to speak directly and appropriately to us. That all of that comes consistently with what he's speaking through here. There is a a little word, um, forgive the technical bits, I, I am no Greek scholar, so I'm not saying this to impress you, all right? David Bonney knows that. Right. Uh, but listen to this. The normal word for word in Greek is logos. You thought it was the name of a ship, didn't you? Well, yes, it is. But um, logos is, is the normal word. It's the word that's used for Jesus in, at the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, that word is also used for the Scripture, and it, it's used Generally. But it's used of Jesus in this particular important way. But there is a kind of watered-down version, a diminutive form of logos, logion. It's only used four times in the Bible. And each time it's used about the Scripture. It's quite an interesting word. And it's, it's always used to describe how the Scripture is God trying to speak to us. And, and one of them is found in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. Hang on, put it on a piece of paper. Turn the paper the right way up. And it's, it's when, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is describing God's deeds and his words in the past, and there's a little phrase in it, that, that uh, he was in the assembly in the desert talking about Moses, with the angels who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. I think the old version puts the lively oracles of God. Even the Ten Commandments were living words. You think, well, they were kind of stone tablets. Yes, they were. But from that day onwards, God was still speaking through them. They were living words. There's a... the the, the same word actually in translating the Hebrew in Numbers 24 Balaam the prophet had these amazing words from God these revelations of God's mind And, and in Numbers 24 it says this the oracle of one who hears the words of God who sees a vision from the Almighty who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened and again the oracle of one who hears the words of God who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty and whose eyes are open. God still goes on, because he's a living God, he's still speaking through a living word. Are you understanding? Am I communicating? I hope so. It's more than a textbook. I'm not terribly computer literate, but... It's a kind of spiritual terminal. I I can log on at any time. Kevin will explain what these mean. That there's a spiritual interface here. That if I will come to it with the spirit of God's help and with faith in my heart, God will always speak to me here. The verse that Jerry read, actually, is quite interesting. I hope you listen to the scripture. Because the the psalm that Jerry read this morning about the earth declaring the glory of the Lord, we can see it. I hope when you walk around and see what God has made, it tells you something about God. But God has much more to say through you from what is written here. It's a living word. It's a lively oracle. When uh, Moses was speaking in Deuteronomy 32, going back to parents. Interesting. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says this, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan. To possess Your word, said Jeremiah, was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. There's a, an eternal objectivity to it. I, I, I don't know why it came to mind as I was thinking about this yesterday. You see, when you look back over history, what a powerful effect. How nations, including this one, I've been affected by this, and uh, my mind went back to Martin Luther. I don't know if you've heard of Martin Luther. He was the German reformer at the time of the Reformation, and uh, he was at the Diet of Worms. I do love bits of church history that have a nice, misleading. It wasn't what you're thinking, right? The Diet of Worms was not a Diet of Worms. The Diet of, it was a place called Worms, and a Diet was a kind of a word for a conference. I think somebody ought to probably rename it, but that's what it was called. And this this monk on his own was more or less on trial. And he, he stood there, and they they, they they commanded him to change his views because they said he was going on heretical lines. And he said, My conscience is held captive by the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. God, help me. Is there another book that can grip a man's heart like that? I tell you there isn't. People used to say that Mount Say tongues and thoughts gripped a nation. Didn't last very long, did it? I'm glad I've got a copy actually. It's you know, a collector's item. I was um, I was reading on holiday. Great holiday. Book a day. And I was reading Smith Wigglesworth, Apostle of Faith. Just for a ch- and not. And this is not Andrew's book. Just ush. said this. He's come, that Smith Wigglesworth was a, an amazing man with a healing ministry. Quite an outstanding... A plumber from Bradford. Yorkshireman, but don't hold that against him. And it, 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 uh, he said this. Fill your head and your heart with the scriptures. Memorize passages from the Word with the name of the book, the chapter and the verse so that you can quote the scripture correctly in addresses or in open air meeting. As you do this, you're sowing in your heart seeds which the Spirit of God can germinate. He can bring to your remembrance from time to time that which you once memorized. You must be soaked in the Word of God. You must be so filled with it that you yourself are a living epistle known and read by all men. Believers are only strong as the Word of God abides in them. The Word of God is spirit and life to those who receive it in simple faith. It is the vivifier of all who know its sway. Know your book, live it, believe it, and obey it. Hide God's Word in your heart. It will save your soul, quicken your body, and illuminate your mind. The Word of God is full of and final, infallible, reliable and up to date and our attitude towards it must be one of unquestioned obedience. It, if a thing is in the Bible, it is so. If it's not even to be, It is not even to be prayed about. It is to be received and acted upon. Inactivity of faith is a robber which steals blessing. Increase comes from action by using what we have and what we know. Your life must be one of going from faith to faith. It's a living word. But secondly, and going on briefly from that, it's a creative word. It it impacts. It says in verse 23 For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's a transforming effect from God speaking through this book. There's a transforming effect. It's the place where we all began. We were converted when God spoke to us through what is written here. Think back. Think back from the time when you kind of aspired after God and you heard bits and pieces, but you never knew quite how to get there until you came here. Michael's testimony a fortnight ago was as clear a testimony of the truth of what this verse says that I've heard. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. The, the, the verse, again that Jerry Rang read in Psalm 19, that uh, the word of the Lord, in the author says, "converting the soul." In the ministry of Jesus, where he talked about the words, he said, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And he went on to say, that is why I've told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. But One of them, Simon Peter, answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus actually speaks into the heart of an individual and that new birth, new life is the consequence of it. I read at a fortnight ago from Hebrews 4 about how the word of God is sharper than a sword and it actually gets to the quick. It goes right down deep inside you and challenges and stirs. I hope you're in such a time and process at the moment. Brings new life. That you have been born again. I I love this. It's Apparently, it's the perfect tense which means one decisive act with ongoing consequences. It's true, isn't it? When When you accepted Christ into your heart, one decisive act with ongoing consequences. And the word that's used here is that it's described as a seed. Now, Jesus described his word as a seed. parable of the sower is, is an excellent example. And what happens is that God's word that he speaks through this book actually lodges in here. Isn't it amazing what grows from the word of God when it lodges in your heart? Over years, I mean but even sometimes over days. Isn't it marvellous what the seed of God can grow into once it's lodged in your heart? That's the point of the parable of the sower. But uh, Luke 8, 11, this is the meaning of the parable, the seed is the word of God. That's the whole point. And he goes on to say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. It isn't that, oh, well, that's, a, that's a shame, I was born with rocks in my heart. No, no. We are responsible for what kind of ground? If we live among the weeds and we fill our lives with rubbish, that the seed may not be able to survive as it grows in your heart. If your heart is hard and trodden down, before you've even got the word at all, the devil will make sure you've forgotten it. And if you only give God a bit of room, and you keep the rest of the rocks in, when the time of trouble comes, the seed and the growth will wither. Exactly what Jesus was saying for us to take note of. See, the marvelous thing is that God is speaking to me. I, I, I wish, I wish, you know, if I could be, if I could use drama, you know, that if, if only I could communicate. Dear Lord, help me make this real to the hearts of Your people. See, it's this way. Here we have a book. Let me be as graphic as I can. Here we have a book that's more than a book. And the living God is using it as an interface to speak into your life. And he's doing it now. And this God is speaking still. And what's more, if if that word, no matter who you are, no matter how deprived your background, no matter how old or how young, it doesn't matter at all. Let that word lodge in your heart. It'll grow and transform your life. Hallelujah. Nothing else can do that for you. And uh, whether it was 1514 or whether it was 1518, nobody seems to know. Martin Luther, he was a monk, he was a clever bloke. He was teaching at this theological college of sorts in Wittenberg. And he happened to be doing a series of lectures on the epistle to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. And like good monks do, I suppose, he spent long, you know, in many habits and spent long times in his cell and everything else. And suddenly the penny dropped. The word of God opened to him. And he said, and he, he, he suddenly realized that it wasn't penance that God wanted. It was repentance that God wanted. He suddenly realized that it wasn't his own merit of accumulating favor with God that would find acceptance. It was only faith that would give acceptance with God. Only that. He could never accumulate merit sufficient. Do you know, Europe was changed by that one monk reading the book of Romans. Everything has shifted since then. Astonishing. Talk about the seed planting in a man's heart. Nations changed as a consequence of that moment. Isn't that amazing? It's a living word. It's a creative word. But lastly, and I don't want to finish without bringing this point out, let me read verses 23 and 4 again. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I said there were three steps. God is the living God, and he speaks through a living word. That living word, once lodged in your heart, like a seed, will grow and bear fruit if you have ears to hear and you give it room. But the third step is the means by which God allows this word to come to me. What Paul calls the foolishness of preaching. The third step is God's preferred means of conveying his word. And it's preaching. It's proclamation. It's making the truth known. That later on, in in Peter's letter, chapter 4 and verse 10, he says this, talking about those with gifts and so on. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Now, this is the third step. Hear it for a moment. I'm going to repeat it in case you didn't catch it. The first step is that God is the living God and he speaks to a living word. The second step is that that living word, like a seed, can plant in my heart and thoroughly change me from the inside out. The fourth is that God... Preaches through donkeys, speaks through donkeys like me. I think oftentimes the process breaks down at this point. He's not here, it must be on holiday. If you were you here last, uh, last Sunday morning? What did you expect when Keith is speaking? We betray ourselves, you see. Well, oh, not Keith again. Oh, good, it's Keith again. Well, I wonder what Keith's got to say. Oh, another devotional meditation from Keith. We do it all the time. And we actually betray ourselves that we haven't really grasped the third step. It doesn't really matter which donkey's speaking. What matter is whether... We have ears to hear and expect God to speak to me. Now, Jerry didn't know what I was going to preach on. And he read Psalm 19. Remarkable that, isn't it? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The test of that, brilliant, brilliant psalm. How did he know? How did he know? Well, I would suggest to you, that God puts something on his heart, as often is the case, that fits with what I'm going to speak on. The problem isn't there. The problem is, I warrant you, and if I wanted to have a kind of, a, um, a kind of rogues gallery, I'd ask us all to raise our hands. The, the problem is that so often I'm not expecting God to speak to me, and it goes on all around me, and it goes through one in one ear and out the other. Because I knew what was coming, when I heard that scripture being read, my my ear went, ah, my word, this is... is, But how many times... I'll, 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 I'll stand up in the rogues' gallery. How many times has that happened and my mind has been anywhere else? Anybody guilty? Isn't it amazing what low expectation I can have that God will speak to me. Even when there's a prophetic utterance, I can treat it with contempt. And what's worse, sometimes, you know, if it's Alex Buchanan, ha ha ha, ha. but if it's Mark, we, we even, we, we're even selective on which mouthpiece we'll listen to from. Do you understand what I'm saying? The third step in hearing God is actually having ears to hear. That it says, and this is the word that was preached to you. And it's a great challenge to us. And I would say in our day, and, and whether the video and whether the, the audio cassette or, or whether it's just the fact that we are in a bombarded by the media with with an information glut, I don't know what it is. But our generation actually has a problem here that previous generations did not have. Maybe it's because they didn't have tellies and the preacher was the entertainer of the week. Heck, wouldn't life be bright then, Mary? But I fear that many, many times God is speaking and we don't hear. God is speaking and I'm not listening. We do it in human relationships, don't we? You know, and she shouts at you from the kitchen. It's amazing how the overload can just kind of switch off, isn't it? Anybody else know what that's like? Don't lie, Richard Jarvis. (coughs) The Scots used to call it sermon tasting. And we can sit there and say, oh, David again. When's he going to finish? Gosh, you only ten to. He must have started early. <laughs> well, I wouldn't really have put it that way, David. If I was preaching up there this morning, I'd have put it a lot better. You probably would. But that's not the point. What is God saying to my heart today through this preaching of the Word? There's a sense in which and maybe the rush on a Sunday morning, we come, as, as Alex said, so utterly unprepared. Maybe if we were praying, God, you must speak to me again. Because when he speaks, it's amazing, isn't it? Huh? you sat there and you're thinking, well, this is for everybody, and then God rings the bell. Huh? I mean, do you know what I mean? I hope you do. And, it's, and somehow there's something inside you think, You've got me, Lord. You know, I was hiding behind the person in front and yet somehow we can get mm, right through. doesn't matter. I was um, in a second-hand bookshop in the Huntleth this week. (laughs) But the weather was so fine, there was nothing else to do. Actually, it was raining at the time. It was on the few occasions and I left Liz in the car because of it. I was just browsing on this bookshelf and there was the works in Welsh so I didn't buy it. Only £10 pounds for a book in Welsh, can you believe it? And uh, <clears throat> these are the, I, I know enough Welsh to know these are, these are the works and sermons of the Reverend George Lewis Flanachlin it looked, it looked terrible Nobody's ever published my sermons in print. They'd look just as boring as well. So don't try it was George Lewis when this old scholar was preaching and the Spirit of God took hold on the word in Hencafel, the old chapel in Philatwin. The people just went down in the power of God while he was preaching. And they carried them out into the fields and laid them out in rows. And the Spirit of God was so upon the people that when they, when they came round and came in, they bounced in. And they had to contain them at the back of the chapel because they were continually jumping up and down. <clears throat> if you look up in the, in the Encyclopedia Britannica under Welsh jumpers, it's got nothing to do with sheep and wool. It may not happen quite as dramatically like that for you. But the preaching of the gospel, the expounding of the word, is the time when God wants to speak to you. And you say, well, I never get anything out of your sermons, David. I can understand it. I have the same problem. But that doesn't mean to say that God can't speak to you if you're listening. There are old truths with dust on, aren't there? We make all kinds of excuses. Actually, sometimes God might be offended by them. I came across this verse in Isaiah, for they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against them. Now, I felt that we received the word that came through two words of prophecy this morning. I, I fancy God would have been offended if we didn't. Bow heads and prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are the living God who speaks a living word. And you speak through this living word. We do thank you with all of our hearts. We thank you that we're not in the presence of one who's remote or dead or out of communication, but you are the living God and you speak through this word. Thank you, Lord, for so many times for many of us over months and years past where your word has been like a seed and has grown and blossomed and transformed us in a way that was inexplicable if it hadn't been you. Lord, we ask you this morning that you'll give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us the contempt that we show for your word by our indifference at reading it and our inattention at hearing it. Lord, we want to knock the dust off this truth and be a people again who hear your voice Clearly. Lord, I ask you this morning that you will sow this word into the hearts of all of us, and that, Lord, you'll give this seed good ground to grow in, that it might change it. Just take a moment's quiet. Maybe for you this morning the most important thing that was in this word is this: that that I can be born a second time, I can begin a new life when this seed of the word of God finds a place in my heart. Lord Jesus, sow your seed of faith in my heart. I want to trust you like I've never trusted you before. I want your word to be the shaping influence in my heart and life. I want you to make me new again. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, that I too might live forever. And for those of us, Lord, who, who came to that place a while ago, Lord, will you revive our expectation? of you speaking through your word for Jesus' sake.